0: If you have your Bibles, turn with me in your Bibles to Luke's Gospel uh, to chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, and we'll be looking at verses 26 through 38. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? According to your word, and the angel departed from her. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, as we turn our attention to the preaching of your holy word, we ask that you would open and enlighten the eyes of our hearts, that we might see Christ more clearly, that we might know Christ more deeply, and that we might obey Christ more faithfully. Holy Spirit, bring about this transforming work as Christ is revealed to us in His Word, in whose name we pray, Amen. Well, of all the celestial beings that give never-ending praise to God, if there was one that was particularly busy, it was the angel Gabriel. His activities are recorded for us not only in the Old Testament, but also here at the outset of the New as he is dispatched yet again from the presence of God to give an announcement. An announcement of incredible importance. Now you'll recall previously that he had been selected by God to give a similar announcement to Zechariah, in which the priest of God stumbled and faltered in hearing its content, wondering how the message could possibly be fulfilled, given that he was old and that his wife was Beyond the years of childbearing. But Gabriel was tasked with sending another message. This time not to Zechariah, but to Mary. An announcement that far exceeded the former. It's because in God's dealing with His people, there was a historical precedence of women who were barren and past the age of childbearing. There's a list of women for whom God had opened their wombs and granted to them sons. But there was never a time that a woman ever had a child while she remained a virgin. This would be the first and last time in all of history that such an event would take place. It would be the greatest annunciation ever to be given. Now in this announcement, there are four points of significance that I want to show you and I'll Go ahead and give them all to you before we go through the text. And the first is Gabriel's greeting. We can't dismiss what we might pass over here as a simple greeting. The second is Gabriel's announcement, which is obvious as to its significance. The announcement of the birth of the Son of God. And the third is Mary's question when she asks, how How will this be since I'm a virgin? And lastly, the fourth, the fourth point of significance here in this passage is Mary's response, which will teach us something about trusting faith. And so, Gabriel's greeting and announcement and Mary's question and response. Well, we begin with the angel being sent down to greet the Virgin Mary. And Luke tells us here in the beginning of the story that it was the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy that he was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now of all the places in which this angel could have visited, he comes to Nazareth. Now what is so significant about Nazareth? And the answer is nothing. There was nothing special about Nazareth. It wasn't even a city. It was more like a small village of about 400 people. A tiny town. That was situated in the north, in the middle of obscurity within the Galilee. In fact, you won't find any mention of Nazareth in early Jewish literature or well-known ancient writings like Josephus. There is no reference at all to Nazareth in the entirety of the Old Testament. Now you would think that God in coming down to this world and the likeness of human flesh would live and grow up in some sort of recognizable place, but no. I have a friend who used to attend church here, and he and his family moved out of state pretty far away to the state of Arkansas in a city called Walnut Ridge. And I was actually supposed to visit him a few months ago, and I had my flights booked, but I was unable to. But I remember him telling me on the phone, and he said, Danny, are you sure? You want to come out here? There's nothing here. It's in the middle of nowhere. It's just acres and acres of dirt and rice fields. Well, I searched Walnut Ridge in my Apple Maps with the satellite view. And yes, it looked like a place of desolation. (laughs) But then I saw that it had a Taco Bell KFC Wendy's and a Walmart. And I told them, it'll be okay. It'll be okay. (laughs) And I figure that Nazareth was a little bit like this. Notice that during Jesus' day, the people, they even looked upon it with contempt. They said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? This is what Nathaniel said in the earlier part of John's Gospel. It was really a place of desolation. I remember years ago riding in a taxi with Pastor MJ and Pastor Eric in what was about a two-hour drive on the highway from the old city of Jerusalem to Nazareth. There was was nothing. And you can feel, you can certainly feel the distance. But the angel Gabriel noticed not only comes to the most unlikely of places, but to the most unlikely of people. A virgin by the name of Mary. She was in our view, she was a young girl, about 12 to 13 years of age. She didn't come from a family of wealth and prominence. She wasn't Anyone to be revered or admired? She wasn't a princess, she wasn't a queen. But was, she was simply a poor, uneducated peasant girl living in a small country village. The angel Gabriel just some months earlier he had been sent to a priest who was interceding on behalf of all the people of God and that inside the most important and holy place in all of Israel in the very temple to give God's message. But notice in sending the greater message, God sends the angel to a nobody in a nothing town in the middle of nowhere to a poor young girl residing in her lowly home in an unknown village. You, you see, this is, this is not mere coincidence. But this is divine providence. Listen to what The old Bishop J.C. Ryle has to say about this. He said this, The Almighty Council, which orders all things in heaven and earth, could just as easily have appointed Jerusalem to be the place of Mary's residence, or could as easily have chosen the daughter of some rich scribe to be our Lord's mother. But it seemed good that it should not be so. The first advent of Messiah was to be an advent of humiliation. That humiliation was to begin even from the time of His Conception and birth. In other words, this was all planned. This was divinely appointed to show us something of the amazing condescension of the Son of God. I want you to notice something here. That the condition of life that the eternal Son of God voluntarily chose to place upon Himself was poverty. Now, no one is saying to choose poverty. But the Lord did. And it's our tendency, you see, to make much of wealth, to make an idol out of money. But the example of our Lord teaches us that you don't have to have a lot of things to be truly whole, but really one thing. And we often struggle with this because we'd rather have and we'd rather believe that we need a lot of things. But we only really need one thing. Paul says, I, I count everything everything is lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. You know, in regards to Mary, there was nothing for which the world would have esteemed her, yet she was given the greatest honor. The greatest honor that any woman has ever been given. She was chosen to be the mother of her own Creator. And her lowliest state was all a part of God's plan. And I think to teach us. To teach us that the Lord comes to the weak and to the humble and to the needy. That He doesn't come to those who think they can make a name for themselves, but to those who acknowledge that they are lacking. No, notice that Mary, she rejoices in this. Look at uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 48. She rejoiced that the Lord looked upon her humble estate. And so in coming to Mary, the Lord himself shows us the beginning of what kind of humiliation the Son of God would have to endure for the salvation of sinners. Well, the angel is sent to a virgin by the name of Mary. lick with me in verse 28. And he said to her, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Now, what looks to appear as a rather simple greeting has been taken to be used as a as a foundation for the false veneration, the false worship of Mary. If you have a Roman Catholic background, you'll be familiar with these words. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of death. Some of you are like, mm-hmm. Now that sounds Christian, but it isn't Christian at all. It's because the Roman church, they take the translation of that greeting from the Latin Vulgate, which states that Mary was full of grace. In other words, they read this greeting, greetings, O one who is full of grace. To incorrectly interpret that grace was inherent within her, that Mary was than able to dispense grace. And this is the reason why countless millions of people offer up their prayers to Mary. They pray to Mary because she has, they believe within her, the ability to give grace. You know, we can do an entire Bible study on Mariology. Not only in this greeting, but even how she responded. If you look real quickly to verse 38, when she says, let it be let it be according to your word, in which the Roman Catholic doctrine compares God's let it be, God's divine fiat at creation to Mary's let it be to create and bring about the Son of God. But what we need to know is that Mary didn't have the ability to give grace. The angel said to her, greetings, O favored one. And the word there in the original Greek is a passive participle which tells us that she wasn't the source of grace, but she was simply the object of grace. Like every other redeemed sinner saved by the blood of Christ, only the recipient of it. Well, Mary still helps us here by showing us that God gives the same kind of grace. Mary was called by God alone to give birth to the Son of God. Her experience obviously cannot be our experience, but yet her example, her example is for us. Her example shows us that as she received grace from God, unmerited favor from God, we as lowly sinners, we can too. Before we move on to our second point of significance, I have to read to you what the reformer Martin Luther said about this greeting, Mary full of grace, in which he was very, very irritated. Listen to Luther on this. He said, up to this point, this has simply been translated from the simple Latin, but tell me, is that good German? Since when does a German speak like that, being full of grace? One would have to think about a keg full of beer or a purse full of money. So I translated it, you gracious one. This way a German can at last think about what the angel meant by this greeting. Yet the papists rant about me, corrupting the angelic greeting. And I still haven't used the most satisfactory German translation. What if I had used the most satisfactory German? It would have been, God says, hello, Mary, my dear. For that is what the angel was intending to say. And what he would have said if the angel had been German. Luther was hoping that Gabriel wasn't just an angel, but a German one. He's so funny. Well, the most important part of this story is not so much of how he greeted Mary, but secondly, notice what he said to Mary. The angel Gabriel had the privilege to announce to the Virgin Mary who was privileged to bear the very Son of God. Look with me in verse 30. the greatest news ever to be given. Now in ages past, the people of God always looked forward to the promise of the Messiah's coming, but now that promise was being realized. Mary is told the name in which she, was, she is to give the child. His name is to be Jesus, which means the Lord is salvation. You'll remember in the Gospel of Matthew, after this encounter, that the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph whose plans were to go through a quiet divorce, but was told not to fear to take Mary as his wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall, what? Save his people from their sins. Now, did Mary understand what the angel was saying? Not the how, but the what. We know she didn't grasp the how because she immediately asked, how will this be? But did she realize The very identity of this child that the angel said she would bear. Yes, she did. It couldn't have been any clearer for this faithful Jewish girl. The angel tells her that He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And you see, while we as believers can be called sons and daughters of the Most High, of the Most High God, here it wasn't... Just that Mary would bear a child called a Son of the Most High, but the very Son of the Most High. In other words, this title referred to Jesus in a unique way. This child in which she would possess was God's eternal Son. God's only eternally begotten Son. And that's important for us to know. Because some falsely think that Jesus here, Became the Son of God at his conception. That the child, notice there in the text, that the child will be called the Son of God, as if he was not always the Son of God, but only became the Son of God when he came into the world. But we can't get confused. Christ did not become the Son of God the moment Mary was conceived, but has been and is from eternity to eternity. And here the angel simply declared that He would be revealed as such to the world. In other words, the origin of this child didn't begin in Bethlehem or Nazareth. His origin predates any place or time in this world. Micah chapter 5, verse 2 says, His coming forth is from old. Well, how old? From the Ancient of Days. You see, this child was the Ancient of Days Himself. Colossians 1 says that He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. What was so special about the angel's announcement to Mary? that the only begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, was coming to dwell with people. Mary knew. She understood what the angel was saying. And she knew more so as Gabriel spoke about the kingship of God's Son, that He would sit on the throne of David and of His kingdom there would be no end. Mary knew just what Gabriel was saying, that she was to bear her very Creator, her very Redeemer. Well, you might ask then, why in the Gospel accounts are there moments in which Mary seems confused or not fully aware of Jesus' mission? And it's not hard to see why. She was just like you and me. Knowing full well of who He is, but not always responding to what we know. I want you to notice here that as Luke narrates this story that he lays out, notice as we take a step back, that he lays out two birth announcements. The announcements of the birth of John and of Jesus. And he places them side by side. John and Jesus. Two pregnancies. Two births, two hymns of praise as we see later in the chapter. The similarities can't go unnoticed. Both John and Jesus were born to godly women who apart from divine intervention were unable to bear children. Both announced by the angel Gabriel. Both given their names. Both given an explanation of their mission. Yet for for all their similarities, what Luke wants us to see Are there differences? The comparison is meant to show the contrast. You see, while one birth followed a line of previous interventions, the other would be the first and the last of an altogether different type. While one was to be a prophet, the other the eternal and everlasting king. While one was to be great before the Lord, the other was to be great because He Himself was the Lord of Lords. While one was the son of a priest, the other was the Son of the Most High. While one was filled with the Holy Spirit, the other was conceived by the Holy Spirit. While one prepared the people for the coming of God, the other was God in flesh. Luke, in narrating these two birth announcements side by side, he argues he argues from the lesser to the greater, so that we might give glory to the greater, so that John would decrease, and Christ would increase. Notice thirdly here that Mary, after having been greeted by great Gabriel and having been given the announcement of the birth of her child, she asks a question here in verse thirty four and Mary said to the angel she said. How will this be? How will this be since I am a virgin? Mary believed, but overwhelmed by the incomprehensible uh, grandeur of the announcement she inquires as to the announcement in which this would take place. She was betrothed, but the actual marriage had not taken place. She had not consummated her marriage with Joseph, And so, how would a child come come about apart from the natural process, apart from the manner in which every single human being would come into this world? The answer would be simple. For nothing is impossible with God. This conception would be a supernatural deed. Normal human agency would not be involved. Look at verse 35. And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy the Son of God. The angel replies with one of the deepest and profound and holiest of mysteries. It was by the power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus was conceived. This is the miracle of the virgin birth. One that Christians have for ages have confessed. In the Apostles' Creed, we say that He was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary. The Nicene Creed tells us God the Son was incarnated by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man. Well, Gabriel tells Mary that the power of the Most High would overshadow her. Now that language is more familiar to us than we would think. It's because it echoes what we find in the Old Testament and the activities of the Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit has been and is actively involved in everything God has ever done and will do. You'll recall in the very first lines of Scripture... In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And it says there, and the Spirit of God was hovering, overshadowing, over the face of the waters. The Spirit was there at creation when He overshadowed the waters of the deep. The Spirit was also there in the Exodus when He overshadowed the tabernacle in a cloud of glory. And here the Spirit would overshadow not a single room, not a formless deep, but an empty womb. And from that empty womb, the eternal, omniscient, transcendent, holy God would come into the likeness of human flesh. This church is a divine mystery that ought to leave us in wonder and awe. But notice, Jesus wasn't just conceived by the overshadowing of the Holy Spirit but the Spirit would again overshadow him in his earthly ministry, anointing him as the Spirit descended upon him uh, in the waters there in the Jordan. And it still, it doesn't end there. Hebrews 9.14 tells us that it was Jesus who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, meaning that through the Holy Spirit He went to the cross and made atonement for our sins. And we saw last Lord's Day. That it was by the Holy Spirit that He was raised from the dead. And when Jesus ascended into heaven, He didn't do so without giving the Holy Spirit to the church. That the Holy Spirit might overshadow the church. All that to say that the very Spirit that overshadowed Mary here is the very Spirit that is present within us today. By which we can only serve and worship the living God. Beloved, we cannot neglect the Spirit. It is the Spirit who has been overshadowing God's people, working with the Father and the Son for our salvation. Here in Luke chapter 1, to bring about God's eternal Son in the flesh through the Virgin Mary. This is important. If we deny the virgin birth, we deny the faith if we deny the virgin birth, then we either believe that Mary was sexually immoral or that Luke was a writer of fiction, but more so we deny, we deny the deity of Jesus Christ if we deny the virgin birth. It's because notice what the angel said here in verse 35. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. It is because of His conception by the Holy Spirit that He is declared as the Holy Son of God. You see, Jesus had to be born of a woman to be a man. But if He was the offspring of Mary and Joseph, then He would have been nothing more than just a man. His virgin birth, His divine conception by the Spirit, these things were necessary for His incarnation. Only the virgin birth preserves both the humanity and the deity of Christ. His conception by the Spirit points to His deity. His birth from a woman points to His humanity. One person, two natures, human and divine, truly man, yet truly God. And because He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, He was not corrupted by the sin and guilt which we were all by nature born into. Which is to say this, that fallen humanity could not produce its own Savior. That fallen humanity could not produce its own Savior. He had to come from somewhere outside by divine initiative, by divine intervention. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to His and her own way. But God sent His eternally begotten Son, Jesus Christ, into the world, perfect and holy, And without sin. And it was by the power of the Spirit that He went to the cross as a perfect sacrifice without blemish. And there the Lord laid upon Him the iniquity of us all, the sins of those He would come to save. And it was by the power of the Spirit in which He was raised from death to life. And you see, it's by that very power by which the redeeming work of Christ is applied to sinners who come to Him in faith. If you're not a Christian here, and if you're, in need, if you're in need of saving, turn to the One whose name is Jesus. For He is able to save you from your sins. Repent and trust in Christ. Look to His saving merits to give you what you can never earn for yourself. You know, in the story we find that in the case that Mary had any trouble believing, That a sign would be given. The angel says to her, notice verse 36. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren for nothing will be impossible with God. It was a sign to prove His sovereignty over the womb. That He is able to do what is humanly and naturally impossible. And what we learn here is that That nothing is impossible with God. He is the God of the virgin birth. There is no sin that He cannot forgive. No problem He can't resolve. No need that He cannot meet. No grief that He cannot comfort. No sinner that He cannot save. Which is all the more reason to trust Him. Mary is given the answer to her question, how will this be? since I am a virgin. Finally, we turn to our fourth and last point of significance in the story here. Mary's response. Well, did she believe it? She asked how. Did she believe what the angel Gabriel had told her? And she did. Her encounter with the angel ends with this great confession of faith. Look with me in verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. I want you to notice that unlike Zechariah, whose meeting with the angel left him speechless, if you remember, that Mary was able to confess her faith. And it's because she took God at His word. She said, let it be to me according to your word. She didn't raise any objections. She didn't hold out for something easier. She didn't ask God to explain what would happen if she said yes. All she needed to know was what God wanted her to do. And once she knew it was enough, you see, she simply trusted. She trusted even when it seemed impossible. She was in her own words. A servant of the Lord. She identified herself as God's bondservant, which meant that she was committed to doing whatever she was told to do. That at the end of the day, all she wanted to offer was her humble obedience. And, and you see, as we as we see this story, we cannot forget what that entailed for Mary. What obedience? meant for Mary. You see, at this moment, she had to be willing to give up almost everything that she knew and everything that she loved. Right? She had to be willing to give up Joseph, the man that she was betrothed to Mary. I mean, if you're Joseph, how, how is he going to take her as his wife knowing that she was pregnant with a child not his own? She had to be willing to give up her reputation. Imagine the gossip in a small town like Nazareth, where, where everyone would wonder who the father of the child was. And even as Jesus grew to manhood, the Pharisees, the Pharisees implied that he was born as a bastard, when they said in John eight that they they themselves that they were not born of sexual immorality, implying that Jesus was. But there would be other trials as well. Hardships that Mary could not have predicted. The journey to Bethlehem. The exile in Egypt. The threats from Herod. But her greatest suffering came when Jesus grew to be a man and it was obvious that He would soon see death. His arrest. His trial. His crucifixion. His burial. This is what it meant for Mary to submit to God's will for her life. For her, this is what a life of obedience requires. And so when she said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. She was consenting to a lifetime of suffering. And that for the glory of God. You see, we ought to never venerate Mary, but instead follow her example. Never pray to Mary, but imitate her faith. To place our trust in the One whom she placed her trust. You know, in closing, I I think what I find most encouraging about the story of Mary is that yes, she was chosen by God to bear the Savior, Jesus Christ. And this is why Roman Catholics falsely elevate her to such a divine status. They worship her position as the Mother of the Lord. They feel her to be so close with Christ, and so they turn her into a kind of second mediator between themselves and Christ, who is the only mediator. As if Christ will hear her more than ourselves. But we should never covet the relationship which Mary had with Jesus. And it's because there's a relationship within our reach that is far nearer than flesh and blood. A relationship that belongs to Christ and His church in which Mary participates. In Luke chapter 11, as Jesus was teaching, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said out loud, Blessed is the womb that bore you. And do you know what Jesus said back to her? He said, Blessed rather are those who hear the Word and keep it. And he said in other Gospel accounts, for whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Which tells us something of his relationship with those who trust him. He he loves them. He loves them that are his bride to the point that he gave himself up for her. And so let us not neglect Christ, church, but in light of the angel's announcement to Mary, give us cause to worship Him and love Him all the more because we are His beloveds, and He is ours. Let's pray together. Gracious and loving Father, we thank You for the gift of grace in giving to us Your eternally begotten Son for the salvation of our souls. Would we like Mary place our trust in You in humble servitude and faithful obedience, knowing that there is no merit within ourselves but to find it only in Jesus Christ. We confess that though we know the provisions and benefits of Your Son, we often live as we forget. Forgive us for our cold-heartedness for our lack of love, for our lack of faith, for coming to Christ only at our convenience and not in constant communion. Would You press upon our hearts the beauty and majesty of Christ that we might worship Him more fervently. Help us to know that He is fair and pure, that He shines brighter than anything or anyone else in this world. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.